Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when The Office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. And again, as usual, Owen is napping. He may join us, he may not. We're hoping he doesn't. (laughs) Not in a mean way. Right. He's been pretty good about taking longer naps recently, so we might be able to get this entire episode in uh, without him waking up. And so today's episode, we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 15, Saber, or Sabre. Depends on how you want to pronounce it. In this episode, Aaron and Andy continue their weird courting. Jim and Pam go daycare shopping and changes come to the office. In this cold open, Michael enters the office with a large box, and it is from, as Michael says, Saber to Saber, who is the new owner of the company. But at this time, the office believes that the company will be pronounced Sabre. Which is a very interesting uh, choice of pronunciation to say it's sabre it is spelled s-a-b-r-e so I don't, you could you would be reading that french spanish italian like in the romance language sort of tradition because you could also argue saber should be spelled like saber tooth tiger s-a-b-e-r sure but it could also be Saber the Sword, which I believe is S-A-B-R-E. Well, I'm showing my ignorance. I didn't know that. Yes. So in this cold open, Michael's impulsivity, which always shines through, I would say in nearly every episode, really shines through here because he doesn't open this box like a normal person. He sort of rips into it like a you know five-year-old at Christmas time. And then he just gifts whatever's in the box to different departments. So he gives a printer to accounting, he gives the fax machine to sales, and he takes the scanner for himself to like scan his hand and face with Dwight. Well, turns out that Michael should not have torn into the box. The box was meant for a Gabe Lewis and should just be a set aside for him. And Gabe is basically the liaison from Sabre Corporate to dunder mifflin scranton branch and so in learning this information the office then has to spend time a reboxing all the equipment so it fits into the box which is always more challenging than it seems it will be if you have ever had to do something similar always it's never intuitive as to where anything should go there's always little um you know caveats or something we have a christmas ornament that so if you've ever opened a hallmark christmas ornament typically they're in it's in a it's in a box but inside the box is a plastic container if you will that's made for encasing that ornament so it doesn't break the other 11 months out of the year. And there is one ornament that is always impossible to place in there correctly to then get it in the box and make sure the plastic casing actually closes together. And then they also have to 
reconstruct the box itself since Michael went ham on it. And so we kick off the main part of the episode meeting this Gabe Lewis character. And I know Antoinette will have some feelings about Gabe that she will share throughout the rest of this series. Pretty much. I'll just give a little bit now Gabe is the worst it's unfortunate I mean I know we're about midway through season six he lasts through season nine if I'm recalling correctly it's just a waste to give storylines to him I understand that they're trying to like keep it fresh and get new characters he's just a waste of a character in my opinion he's not funny he's not engaging I find him like very annoying um so not, I'm not thrilled to see Gabe. So Gabe's official title at Saber is the Coordinating Director for Emerging Regions. Saber is a Florida company. And as we'll come to learn, and I think they've already said, but I think, I think it'll become more clear as the season closes out, the only reason Saber was interested in Dunder Mifflin was for basically the warehouse. It's for their shipping capabilities. And it just so happened that they sold paper and that Dunder Mifflin sold paper, I should say, and Sabre sells printers. So it kind of goes hand in hand. Not a big deal. Side note, I don't mind Gabe. I think Gabe's actually kind of funny. Um, He is like a better version of Toby in my mind. Very similar. nobody, Nobody really likes him. Everybody spends their time making fun of him. And Gabe, like, whereas Toby's just like, oh, why, why? (laughs) Gabe, like, tries to fight back. He usually just kind of takes it, but he tries to fight back, but he is very unsuccessful in doing so. And so, like, he he has some funny lines and some funny moments in, in that situation. To sort of bridge the gap between Dunder Mifflin and Saber, Aaron and Andy came up with a song set to Miley Cyrus's Party in the USA. It's a parody. So surprisingly, Michael's not the one doing this, but Andy and Aaron have some musical talents. Unfortunately, they thought it was Sabre. And so the way they've set up the song is to rhyme with Sabre. So it doesn't go very well. And it's especially unfortunate because Gabe is going to film it for the company's website. As part of the changeover from Dunder Mifflin to Sabre, Gabe brings the employees into the conference room and shows them just kind of this intro video that features Christian Slater. And so Michael, like at this moment, Michael is kind of like seeing the, you know, the bright lights and he's like, oh man, this is great. Especially because if you'll recall from season three, Michael loves an intro video. That's how we introduced the Stanford employees to Scranton. Right. And so it is this big sweeping video that really doesn't say much. And Jim points nothing. Jim points this out in a one-on-one with the camera. But that is kind of where the good tidings end with Michael. After the video... Gabe kind of explains how things are going to run from here on in. And he says that since Sabre is a printer company, 
that's going to be the main focus of the Dunder Mifflin sales department. Now, Gabe says they are printer salespeople who happen to sell paper. Which Michael hates that idea because he prides himself on knowing paper. If you think back to season five, he started the Michael Scott Paper Company. He didn't start some other sales company, even though he's good at sales. He sort of only sees himself as a paper salesman. He doesn't see himself as just a general salesman, which is really interesting. So he does not like being told, well, now you're going to be a printer salesman. There are other changes that are going to be instituted. One that they sort of gloss over but does upset a lot of the people is their vacation day policy. So now that they're part of Sabre, and I'm sure there'd be some sort of smoothing over of these HR glitches, but as part of Sabre, they only get two weeks vacation, which is every company does vacation differently. Some companies like where I work, it's based on seen like how much you get is based on seniority and there is a cap on your carryover but it's pretty high some companies for every single employee it is a blanket 10 days that's what you get and that is all and you and you probably it sounds like you earn it as you go whereas some companies you earn it at the top of the year and you can use it however you want and my friend just started working at a company that has unlimited vacation time, which sounds awesome, but she says it's more of an accounting thing that you don't have to pay it out. So if someone leaves the company, you don't have to ask, like, how much did you bank? And then pay them out, like, two months worth of vacation and sick time. A new IT man is on the scene going around to everyone's desk, and they're installing site blockers, which is another change that Michael really abhors because Michael loves time-wasting websites. So they're blocking Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, things like that. Tw wait, Twitter's not around at this juncture, I don't yeah. think. Is it? Okay. Yeah, Twitter is specifically said, yes. Okay, I couldn't remember. And then also, they're eliminating trips to get water, basically. So they're issuing everyone a Sabre metal water bottle, which is actually pretty nice. We've never seen this before, but Michael really hates this change as well because he likes walking to the water cooler and getting little cups of water multiple times a day. And he says, you know, he does 20 little scans and he has 20 little conversations along the way. And I'm gonna guess that the only person who likes this is Michael because he likes to bother people. And he doesn't like to actually do work. For sure. It's kind of odd that this is as big of a sticking point as it is and I think it's just because it is introduced as rather than like oh here's this gift from Sabre it's a brand new metal water bottle it is introduced as like oh here's this thing that's going to help you work a little bit harder so you don't have to go to the water cooler so often it's basically Gabe's basically saying like this is holds a bunch of water so you don't need to get up don't get up and do that and and i know like one of the things when i was working in the office is the, to sort of take a little break is to go refill my water bottle if i just kind of need to get up get away from my desk it's to go to the bathroom refill my water and so michael confronts gabe about all of these changes and and gabe just kind of tries to brush him off Mostly because, and this is something that we will 
see more often as Gabe becomes more of a mainstay, Gabe doesn't have any actual power. If Gabe is not a a boss, Gabe does not have any sort of like Gabe does not fit into the org chart anywhere between the higher ups at Saber and Dunder Mifflin. He's just a liaison. Yes, Gabe is very much the mouthpiece for Joe Bennett, who is the CEO of Saber. And we do kind of get a brief meeting with Joe in the intro video, but we see a little bit more of Joe's managerial style in a video conference after Michael kind of pushes Gabe to to bring his concerns to a higher level. And it is kind of odd to me that Gabe is a direct line from CEO to the distribution people. There would you would think there would be kind of a step or two between Joe and Michael. Sort of like a Jan, like a regional manager or whatever Jan's title was. Right. Michael's first impression with Joe is not good. He's just complaining. He's not picking up on her subtle hints about you need to take to the end of the day and decide, is this really how you want to proceed here? Because Michael is telling Joe, well, at Dunder Mifflin, we've done this things this way for a very long time. Nothing needs to change. And Joe pushes back and sort of points out rightfully like, hey, we came in and saved you. This was a mismanaged company. We came in and made sure that you all still have jobs. So you're going to have to adapt a little bit here. And this doesn't really satisfy Michael's concerns. And so Michael turns to a person who he thinks is going to have a better insight on this situation and maybe get some ideas as to how to handle it. And so he goes and visits David Wallace at David's house. This for me is where this episode gets a little uneven. So there's, it's definitely a tale of two episodes and it's one of the ones that seems a little long So we're following Michael's perspective. We're seeing him push back a little bit on these changes to what Saber is bringing to the Scranton branch. It's curious that Michael thinks that David could sort of save the day for him because that's what David has always served as when it was just under Mifflin. However, David is sort of a shell of himself a little bit we Michael just drops by without any sort of appointment or calling ahead but David is happy to see him because David doesn't have a job here it appears he's a little aimless he's not really sure what's next for him and the way his wife talks to David really seals that in a little bit she says oh what have you done today like you put on shoes did you go outside and David says nope just hung out But Michael's here, and so we know that David's wife isn't really a big fan of Michael from season three when he showed up several hours early to the party. But she's just happy that David's doing something. 
David invites Michael to go sit out in the hot tub with him and they just sit out and Michael's saying, this is what's happening. This is what Saber's doing. Like, what do you think? And David's not really throwing him a bone. He really doesn't care in some respects that it's not really David's problem anymore. He's got bigger fish to fry in finding a job or just figuring out what he's going to do next. So Michael's getting frustrated that David won't give him advice and David takes the opportunity to tell Michael that he's got this business idea for a new product called Suck It. And I'll let Curtis explain what Suck It is. Suck It seems like something that absolutely would not work. I don't know how it would work. Basically, it is, as David describes it, a shop vac that goes around and sucks up kids toys that get left on the floor and that's supposed to teach the kids how to pick up their things <laughs> i feel like you, the the vacuum that would be needed to pick up a baseball glove which is one of the examples that david gives would have to be a very powerful and b like the the tube that you would need to to suck things up with would have to be rather large because this seems to need to like accommodate a very wide variety of sizes of things. It'd have to be like the size of a dryer vent tubing. Right. David does offer Michael to get in on the ground floor of Suck It and Michael politely declines. And so Michael at this point has seen enough and and he can't get out of there fast enough. And he says, that's not David Wallace. That's a shell of the man I used to know as David Wallace. He does also tell the camera that there are very few things that would make him not want to partner with David Wallace. And suck it is one of them. So Michael returns to the office with orange juice in hand the product of the home state of Gabe and Saber and invites everybody to fill their brand new metal water bottles with them so he can give a toast to the new beginnings with Saber. So obviously seeing David Wallace in the state that he is in kind of makes Michael realize it could be a lot worse. And so he seems to be a little more on board with Saber after this. Yes, Michael decides to fully commit, realizing that if he doesn't, David's plight is kind of what awaits him. One of the other storylines in this episode is Jim and Pam's search for a daycare. And like many parents that go through the same process, they have one that they really want to get into. And so today is the day that they are meeting with the head of the daycare to, I guess, interview? That's how competitive it is for the stake here that they would like their child to attend. They basically have to interview well and be selected. Let's talk for a second about 
the racket that is daycare and then why it is that because part of the reason that it's so competitive and this is even pre-covid is because it's expensive and good ones are hard to find especially if you happen to live in a rural area of the country it's very difficult to find good care but then if you're in a large city it can get so competitive but the reason for that is is that care and caring for children and just sort of women's work in general is not valued in this country at all and so these people are greatly underpaid and overworked and so you have a crisis of finding workers good and plentiful amount of them and then in because there is such a crisis of good workers but also it's such a premium it is crazy expensive as it should be you're paying for someone to watch your child but it all goes back to the fact that we in this country only care about family up to a point that it doesn't interfere with work basically and if it does too damn bad i feel like though that some of that like the the daycare industry is taking advantage of the whole like basically the thought is you can't put a price on the care your child is going to receive like what you're in a short what like you you you, like we're they're trying to put a dollar amount on how much you care about your child and so it's one of those things like well we can throw any price out there because what what are you going to short your your kids care like sure and our first experience with daycare came with our first pregnancy when we were just getting on a list and what we didn't know is at least for our area and i know this is the case in other places you basically have to call before you are even pregnant like there are waiting lists for the infant rooms that stretch potentially a year and a half to two years which is just sort of mind-blowing to me and for people that we experience some difficulties as far as just pregnancy goes that is just insane and it's not something that we were willing to sign up for so then our options were a little bit limited when it came to owen and we had to work with two companies that wouldn't not companies but just care centers that wouldn't allow you to put your name on the list until you were actually pregnant and then it wasn't a for sure guaranteed thing so the way that some of the other places the lists work is that you basically paid for a spot without having a child for that spot which is again just super crazy and you're asking for a lot of dominoes to fall into place like just perfectly and you don't lose that basically two hundred dollars that you're putting down for a child that doesn't yet exist Owen's not yet at daycare you know we can't really speak to what that'll be like but we've gone through a tour similar to Jim and Pam now we didn't have to get interviewed and and chosen basically uh, to get our spot we had to just say this is what we'd like to do this is the time frame that we're needing here's our money basically this feels borderline illegal like the opportunity for discrimination on mm-hmm. some sort of basis sure. is large here if you're essentially interviewing parents about their kid 
their kid that is not yet born. Correct. And so I don't like I don't see how it isn't a first come first serve type situation like it was at the daycares that we visited. And, you know, based off of price point, you're probably going to, I don't know, like what you were trying to do by interviewing parents is probably going to take care of itself. Exactly. Exactly. And so for Jim and Pam, there's excitement here. They come early. This this place that they want to go to is only four blocks from the office. And because they come early, they, they just basically walk in and it doesn't appear as though the man that they're going to meet with is actually there yet. So they just like take a look around. It's it's a really cute setup. There's a slide. There's it, finger paintings. It's weird that no one is there. Uh, yeah, that doesn't make any sense because it's the middle of a work day. Is it closed? Is uh, yeah, it a holiday? I don't know if the kids are outside or what the deal is because well what happens is is that as jim and pam are wandering around this daycare jim sees a bathroom sign with like just little kids on it uh, as boys and girls he's like that's just super cute and he goes into the bathroom for some reason. I know, that's why I was like, why does he need to go in? But it sort of plays into right. the for, story. He goes in there for plot convenience. Because when you've seen a bathroom, you've seen them all. <laughs> and he walks in on a guy in there just dropping a deuce. And so Jim panics and, you know, shuts the door immediately and goes and tells Pam that he just walked in on somebody using the bathroom. And that somebody turns out to be the head of the daycare and the person in which Jim and Pam are interviewing with. And Jim is super weird about it. We don't often see Jim in this way, but he is just very wrinkled by this accidental walk-in. I mean, who wouldn't be? Yeah, especially if it's someone you haven't met yet, you're early, you kind of let yourself in to look around. Like, there's just a lot of maybe uncertainty happening from Jim. And so this meeting starts out very poorly. Jim asks about flexibility with holidays and the guy, the director chides them and says, you haven't even gotten in yet and you're already rearranging your schedule. And so they have to paint themselves as planners, but flexible, which is some, they could be the tagline of parenting a little bit, I guess. This is kind of an odd interaction on the part of both parties because asking about holidays and things like that is a pretty innocent question and is very helpful knowledge for people who are considering this daycare. Yeah, you have to know if the date, like when the daycare closes, because some, like for example, like a in-home daycares they're closed for a whole week so that person who runs it can have a built-in vacation basically so you kind of have to know those things so you can adjust your work schedule or the care schedule like accordingly and make sure you have enough time or coverage or you know whatever you need and so the pushback by this guy of well you don't even know if you're in yet is odd but pam then takes it up to another level by saying 
are you dismissing us because Jim walked in on you in the bathroom? And the guy then was like, I feel like I'm being perfectly pleasant. And Pam fires back with, well, because you are dismissing us already and we are really nice people. And so I don't know why you wouldn't let us in. And the head of the daycare fires back with maybe the truest line that has been said in this entire series of, Maybe you're not as charming as you think you are. Yeah, and then nothing else really comes from this storyline. That's where it sort of ends, and we don't know where they ended up going to a daycare, basically. The only remaining storyline is, as we said at the top of the show, the continued weird courtship of Andy and Aaron. Andy feels like... The ball is in Aaron's court after the drumline gesture uh, for his secret Santa gift. And Aaron is expecting him to like actually ask her out, not do this grand gesture thing. So they're basically continuing to talk past each other, express interest, but never really go anyplace. At one point, Andy comes to Aaron's desk and asks if she has any plans for the weekend. And, and Aaron says, nope, wide open, expecting that to then prompt Andy to ask her on a date. And Andy's like, well, there's no movies you want to go to or parties you want to invite someone to. Sort of trying to <laughs> hint she should do it. And then nothing happens. Neither of them actually pull the trigger. Andy is not wrong in this situation. He is wrong in this moment, though. The ball is not in Aaron's court at this time. Like, it would be if they had gone on the first date. It would then be sure. up to Aaron to reciprocate. Like, yep, this is something I'm still interested in. We should do something else this yeah. time. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up. What goes on in this episode? Let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. This episode was directed by John Krasinski. It's the first one he ever directs, and he does direct two more in the whole series, one in season eight and one in season nine. This episode is also the first time that Ed Helms' name appears in the opening credits, and it's the first actor to be added to the opening credits since the show started. The scissors that Aaron throws to Michael in the cold open, they're made of rubber since they're throwing scissors at each other. Curtis, do we have any firings? I don't think so. The only thing that I think comes close to a firing is when Michael is leaving the office to go to see David Wallace. He chucks his brand new metal water bottle out of his car window and it it cracks somebody's windshield. Stanley's. It's the <laughs> ongoing. It Stanley's again? Yeah, it's the ongoing uh, gag that Michael keeps damaging Stanley's car. What is your Dundee Award? My Dundee Award is someone got a new sponsor, and that goes to the show of The Office. There are Apple products sprinkled all throughout this episode, and they make it very, very obvious that they are Apple products. When Gabe shoots the video for the Sabre website of Aaron and Andy playing their song, 
it is an iPhone and you can see the Apple uh, logo on the back of the phone. The laptop that Gabe calls Joe on is a Apple laptop and at in the background of David Wallace's house you can see a Apple desktop of some sort and then there's another time you can see an iMac. I would just like to say now that I think Apple products are terrible and overrated and extremely overpriced for what you get. Yeah, when it came out that they purposely slowed them down after, what, like three three years max, basically, so that people would buy more. It's sort of infuriating in that sense, especially because it's not cheap to buy a cell phone anymore. I mean, you can get a burner phone, but to get like a smartphone, even like the not, even from a, a Samsung perspective, even the not latest version, a couple versions back, is something just ridiculous it's several hundred dollars you know at minimum five hundred dollars plus the amount you're paying for cell phone service it's just so stupid and if you think like this is one of the reasons now i'm going on a soapbox this is one of the reasons it's more expensive just to live than it was let's say in the 70s and 80s because you had a landline you only had basic cable and so for all the innovations sometimes we get with tech it, it sort of complicates and makes life more expensive because now, as we're seeing with the push to get like broadband internet to all across America and to make sure that people have phones and are a, a way to be reachable, landlines just aren't happening. It's very uncommon. Maybe you have older people have them or you have someone that uses it as a bundle but doesn't actually have a house phone or a phone number, for example. And so you you do have to have a phone and then you get into the question of like should children have phones and how do you do that because there's not pay phones anymore you know is the bus early we ran into this a little bit when we we coached sixth grade volleyball a couple years back some girls had phones some girls didn't and so we had the phone numbers for the girls that did but we also had parents phone numbers and it's just really awkward to have parents and our players phone numbers and sort of communicate in that way but then for like sometimes we had to have practices canceled there were snow days etc it was actually really difficult to reach people and there was a time where our practice time got changed that wasn't fully communicated because we didn't work in the school that wasn't fully communicated well so I had to sit with these two girls after we just had a two-hour practice they showed up at the end of practice their parents left didn't come back for two hours sat with them waiting for their parents to come back around and that was kind of frustrating in that sense but there was just no way to reach them and I am so curious if that would have been better or worse in the time of landlines yeah I don't know because you're then dependent on that person being home for sure and so there are so many things in our society that you know now that cell phones are ubiquitous to the point to where like pay phones barely even exist i don't understand how things happened before cell phones like if you were meeting somebody for lunch people didn't flake well maybe but like if you were meeting somebody for lunch and you found out that that 
you're the first person there. You find out, oh, this place is closed for repairs or something like that. Or if you're the second person to arrive, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm running a little late. I'm going to be there in like 20 minutes. Person A is just standing there waiting for other person to show up and like, did they die? What's going on? Right. Why is that person not here yet? And then in the first situation, you could be like, hey, don't come to this place. We get, we're going to have to go somewhere else. And you would have to just wait for that person to show up before you could relay that message to them. Well, that's why there are entire episodes of, for example, Seinfeld or Friends, shows set in the 90s before cell phones and texting were ubiquitous. That would never work now because yeah. the entire episode is kiboshed five minutes in because you just text like, hey, this place is closed. We got to go somewhere else. Or like, I'm not coming or I'm late, etc. And said you leave... Like they do, there's a Seinfeld episode I'm thinking of at the movie theater, and they just leave a message for for the person with like the ticket taker. And you you see shows have to change their entire landscape because of these things. The Wire is a huge example of this because in the first season, everybody is on a pager and everybody yes. uh, is going to pay phones, and so. They tap those, they figure out which payphones are being used, and then they tap those payphones. Well, as the show continued, cell phone technology got better, and burner phones became a thing. And so the entire premise of the first season of the show gets thrown out the window by the time it's the fourth season of the show because technology has advanced, and people, you'd be like, well, they just wouldn't use payphones anymore because they would be able to have a cell phone right there. It's the same thing with The Sopranos and uh, The Many Saints of New York just premiered. And so there's a lot of Sopranos nostalgia happening. A lot of times in that show, in order to just convey very quick messages, someone drives out to a payphone, you know, 30 miles away and just does a quick, it's done. And, uh, you know, there's no sort of tracing that. And so that doesn't really exist anymore. And one of the reasons why the mafia, the mob, sort of died out, one, globalization, but two, is just the rise of technology that's much easier actually to trace by authorities. So long-winded uh, Dundee there. Yeah. What is your Dundee? My Dundee is the no, oh God, please, no award going to the introduction of Gabe for me <laughs> just like i said i don't i don't find them compelling i do get a little frustrated as we get into season seven and eight that he's getting some storyline because there's a lot of minor characters all the minor characters i should say at least in this episode that for most of the season we have not heard or checked in with we don't know what's happening with angela with oscar with phyllis with stanley for instance that we had really seen come to the forefront in seasons three through five and now we're sort of being relegated back and we're getting more michael jim pam focused storylines we're getting more of andy and aaron and so there's just a lot of people it's a big cast there's a lot of people so for me to add in this character that will remain just doesn't seem necessary but a lot of times the shows add in you know fresh blood I guess I will amend my earlier statement that I don't mind Gabe. There is something now that 
will annoy me about him. And it's a fact that for the sake of the show, it's another character that has to get fired. So we are no, <laughs> we, we have been waiting for Aaron to get fired. She has not done anything. And now we are adding Gabe. And so there is an, we are now down up to two characters who need to get fired uh, before the quote show can end. Sure. Who is your employee of the month? There's not really a standout, I would say, here. I was thinking Erin, and I'll go ahead and give it to her. Just as she's getting more, she's more prominently involved in this episode, I'll say, and just more involved in the office. So what about you? I'm going to go with David Wallace because he is clearly living that buyout life. Uh, he, we see him making like fluffer nutter sandwiches and he just can hang out and he can hot tub in the middle of the day and drink a beer and just live life as it is supposed to be. And come up with a theme song for Suck It with his son. Right. I'm going to have to say his wife maybe needs to get off of his back. I feel like we are at most two weeks removed sure. from from the buyout of Dunder Mifflin. So, like, how is David supposed to get another job, especially at the level that he is? Because David isn't going to go out and just sure. like, okay, well, guess let me get this entry-level IT job now. Like, he was a CEO of a company. He's going to be a board member somewhere or a CEO at a different company. Like, he is going to be a higher-up guy and those get, you don't just be like, oh, let me put in an application for this job. Yeah, he's got to be headhunted a little bit, yeah. actually. So my friend, for a brief period of time, had the Suck It theme song as, as a ringtone. I don't know, for a text or call or whatever. Not the most pleasant of ringtones. No. <laughs> so that pretty much does it for this week's episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And continue listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.